Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 186, and I am really thrilled to have another uh, a native-born Omahaan with me here in Rex Walters, uh, the assistant basketball coach for the NBA's Charlotte Hornets. Before we even get going here, I want to thank my guy Ryan Moore for being the go-between uh, with uh, linking up Rex and I this morning. Uh, really excited to have him on here. But before we get going with Coach Walters, uh, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes have are having balance, neck or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, whatever it may, download, rate, review, give us five stars, give us a nice review. It helps in the ratings when people want to look up coaching basketball podcasts. If you do that, a pen and a napkin pops up higher. So, And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Go check out a pen and a napkin.com. It's a really good coaching website, I know, because I made it myself. And I think that's about it, Rex. Are we ready to dive into it this morning, sir? Let's do it. That was, You covered a lot. I'm impressed. Ah, please, well, thank please. you very much. So uh, it, it, it's a blessing and a curse to be able to talk that fast maybe sometimes. I don't know. So, uh, But hey, yeah, uh, native of Omaha, Rex, where were, where, I was kind of curious about that. Where were you born? How long did you live in Omaha before you moved away? Well, my, my father was in the service, so he was in the Air Force before joining Lockheed Missiles in Space. So mm-hmm. we actually traveled a lot and mm-hmm. was you know, obviously born in Omaha, became a Nebraska Cornhusker fan when I found out. Uh, was was pretty tried and true all the way until I got to Kansas and then, you know, rooted against them for a lot of different <laughs> reasons. But, um, yeah, so th- yeah. That's, that's how all of that came about. From there, we moved to Hawaii. Um, I lived in Hawaii for a short period of time. Then we moved to Aurora, Colorado. Then we settled in San Jose, California about, uh, shoot, that would have been in the early 80s mm-hmm. that we settled out there. Gotcha, so, gotcha. So your dad was at uh, SAC uh, when he was stationed here then probably? You know what? My father just passed away. I should have asked him, uh, but I know he was in an Air Force base. I yeah. just don't know which one. That, that, that would be it. Yeah. The, the Strategic Air Command down there in Bellevue. So. Yeah. And my condolences for your father passing away. So. Uh, oh no, I, I think about him every day, yep. and it was an amazing blessing to have him in my life and give me direction. And so, uh, but yeah, I think about him often and mm-hmm. all the lessons he taught me. So mm-hmm. I thank you, thank, yep. thank you for saying that. Yep. So Rex. The the pod may start and end with one question, if I kind of had my way, but I'm not going to, but I, I still have to ask this. I, as I got ready for today, I had forgotten about this, but now that I've remembered and I've got it written down, again, we may, we may be here for a while, so I apologize in advance. I had forgotten, I had forgotten that you were an extra in Blue Chips, my all-time favorite basketball movie. And I just got to ask, what was that filming experience like? Uh, you know, you guys basically just played pickup with with uh, with the the scenes that you were in because you were on you were on Texas Western, and I, uh, was it Raveling or Patino was your coach? Patino was our coach. Okay, yeah, it, it, it was it was a cool time because it was basically after the season, before the draft. They did they did a lot of different um, uh, interviews and. 
I, I, I'm forgetting the word to say, but, but, you know, I got to read lines with Nick Nolte. They flew me out to Los Angeles. I was reading for the part of Ricky Rowe. Um, oh, agents wow. were all, yeah, agents were all trying to get in good with clients. And that's one way that they could do that, getting them, you know, opportunities to, to make themselves more marketable. I ended up going with a different agent, and I think that also affected. I wasn't probably a very good actor, but that was also a reason why I didn't get the part. It would have been great for me to get the part, especially next to, you know, Kenny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal reading lines and and doing parts with Nick Nolte. I definitely, and Matt Nover is a a really good guy. I actually went and visited Northwestern with Matt uh, at the same time. He ended up going to IU and I went to Kansas later on, but, but yeah, it was a great experience. We flew out. Oh shoot. It was somewhere in the middle of nowhere of Indiana, about an hour outside of Indianapolis, big time high school, like yep. unbelievable facilities, played a lot of pickup and then just played a game. Is yep. basically what we did. And we had a much better team. We had Rick Fox, Chris Mills, had good bigs. They didn't have Shaq or Penny it was before those guys had signed. So yep. we really did kick their tail. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if we would have kicked their tail as much with with uh, Penny and, <laughs> and Shaq on the team. Well, you you got out of there before all the violations occurred at uh, Western, you know. So um, I'm just I'm just happy that you were able to hold your head high with a good degree from Texas Western University, and you felt good about your experience with Patino. Was was Patino really as intense as he uh, while while we were while you were filming? Was was he on you guys that hard? But it's it's funny because we didn't practice at all. We just played, and, uh-huh. and basically Rick Pitino, you know, flew in for the for the game. Uh-huh. But there was still coaching, and you could tell in the timeouts there was a philosophy with his pressing, with his trapping, what he wanted to do, where he wanted to get the ball. Rick Fox was was an NBA player, uh-huh. uh, really good. Chris Mills was good, and my job was basically try to get those guys shots. And uh-huh. So there was even though it was a pickup game. There, there is a certain level of organization, and Rick Pitino brought that very quickly. He obviously demands attention and atten- demands your your respect, and so it was fun to because I had met him for the Playboy All American shoot okay. and got to ask him questions. So um, it was cool to see him on the sideline and see how he could coach, and yet at, at very quickly get the respective players, get them to buy in to what he wanted to do to get the W. Mm-hmm. Well, I could I could do this for the whole hour that we're going to be together, Rex. But I know we have to move on, so I, I had to ask you that. And like I said, I had forgot as many times as I've seen that movie, I had forgotten that you were uh, part of uh, Texas Western's team. So uh, that, 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 I, I had to ask. I had to get that one out of the way. So um, I'm not going to go through your background. You know, people can get on the internet and, and check out your stuff, and they know that you played at Northwestern and as a kid that grew up in Iowa. I'm going to be I'm going to be honest with you. I cheered against you those two years that you were at Northwestern. So, uh, but you know, and then you go down to Kansas, play in the final, play in the national championship game. Um, or no, sorry, you got beat in the semifinals. I apologize. So no, that's okay. We, the the year the year I sat out, they they lost to Duke. I was yep. there. I had to play my own way. Tell me how much the NCAA has changed. Like now, kids are <laughs> getting money to to just sign places. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, I had to actually pay my own way to fly to Indianapolis, pay for my hotel so I could go to the Final Four, even though I was a part of the team. It was kind of crazy wow. when you think about the money. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Uh, you know, so all of those things. So so, so folks can can kind of take a look at all of that stuff. And uh, But you've had a you, – you've lived a, 
a, a, a basketball charmed life in a lot of different ways. You've got to be around uh, some of the greats of the game. And, and I thought one of the ways that we would really dive into the coaching part of it is just kind of go through and, and maybe take about uh, 30 to, to 60 seconds uh, a piece. I, I, got a, I got a list of about uh, seven or eight people that you've had a chance to spend a lot of time with and, and just kind of their influence on your career, what, you, what you've learned from them, uh, what's made, what have they done to make you a better coach? So, uh, you ready to roll with that, Rex? Yeah, okay. sure. I mean, I can start. I can start all, all the way back in high school. You know, my first, like, probably was two of my best coaches were Terry Moyama. I'm half, I'm half Japanese, so I played for him, and he gave me a lot of confidence, uh, gave me freedom, but also confidence and pushed us. Then I had a guy named Ruben Luna, who was actually my AAU coach, and AAU gets a bad rep, and I've watched a lot of bad. AAU basketball, but this guy could really coach. He, he would do a lot of player development stuff with me as well later on. Then from there, I got to play for Bill Foster uh, mm-hmm. at Northwestern. Uh, everyone, if anyone's read the book Forever's team, it's about that Duke team. He he was the one guy that was able to win 20, uh, 20 games at I think four or five different schools. Yep. Northwestern is the one that he didn't quite get over the hump, mm-hmm. but got to play for him for two years and, and really enjoyed that. Then also played for Hall of Fame legendary coach and Roy Williams and former former play, a pen made, and a napkin guest Roy Williams. So okay, there yeah. you go. Well, he he's the one that made me play defense uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, was able to get me to pass the ball a little bit more, which was a good thing. Um, great coach, great man. Uh, it was just his birthday just the other day, and, and sent him a text and wished him a happy birthday. And uh, I'll see him every once in a while because he's connected pretty well with the Charlotte Hornets and. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, Mitch Kubchak, there's there's a lot of Carolina ties there. Uh, but played for him for basically three years, then got to play for Chuck Daly, Hall of Famer, God mm-hmm. rest his soul, um, great organizer, great um, psychologist of the game. Then from there, played for, shoot, John Lucas, played for Johnny Davis, played for then Larry Brown for a short period of time in Philadelphia had three different coaches in three different years. Wow. Man. Uh, all, all different, all great in their own way. All had different challenges when you're an NBA coach. And then I was fortunate to play for the Miami heat where not only played for Pat Riley, who is a hall of fame executive hall of fame coach, uh, played for the Los Angeles Lakers. If you watch Showtime on HBO, oh, yeah. uh, he's in that a lot. Mm-hmm. And then, but also got to meet, uh, you know, Stan Van Gundy, who's been a tremendous influence on me as a basketball player and as a coach. Uh, been an unbelievable mentor. Uh, has helped me learn so much about the game. Has helped me in in the process of being a coach. You know, Bob McAdoo was on that staff. Uh, Tony Tony Fiorentino was on that staff. Jeff Desdelic was on that staff. A lot of great coaches. Eric Spolstra was yep. the video coordinator. Yeah, um, that shows you how old I am. Now he's a <laughs> Hall of Fame coach, uh, World Championship coach, and then after that, I played overseas for a little bit, um, and I've been able to work for some great ones. Worked for Danny Manning, worked for Homer Drew, worked for Matt Doherty. Uh, now I'm working for Steve Clifford, who who is there's a there's a Stan Van Van Gundy connection there, mm-hmm. but I'm learning so I'm I'm really enjoying. He's just a great man to be around, uh, fun to be around, and at the same time, he has an East Coast toughness, mm-hmm. an organization, an ability to relate to players 
that uh, makes it a lot of fun to come to work every single day. I'm looking forward to getting back home. Miss my family. My family stays in Michigan when I'm in Charlotte. But uh, working for him, if we can stay healthy, we'll have a chance to do some really cool things this year. Yeah. What uh, What's kind of, as you've gone through this, this list of guys, you know, Roy, uh, Pat Riley, Larry Brown, Chuck Daly, uh, Homer, Stan, uh, Eric Musselman was another guy you worked for for a year. Uh, right. uh, yeah, um, you know, who's just, you know, really built Arkansas back to what it was back when uh, we were young. Uh, we're approximately, you're, you're about three years older than me, Rex, just to fill you in a little bit there. So, <laughs> so, and, and we don't say old on a pen and a napkin, coach. We say experienced and seasoned. So ah, that's, the, that's, the, that's the phrasing we use. But uh, what what are some of the common threads that you've seen i mean like i said you've you've worked with or played for i mean it, it would be hard to find somebody who has has had the basketball experiences and lineage that you have had and and so what are some of the common threads that you have seen with chuck daly that you see a lot of the same qualities in pat riley that you see in homer drew that you see in steve clifford uh, what's what's three or four things that you see that kind of seems to tie all of these great coaches together? I think the first thing that always stands out with, with all the great coaches is they have a way to play. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to get defensively. Um, you know that there's going to be great organization offensively and at the same time some freedom to play as well. But like the defensive side is always like when I got to North, when I got to Kansas and I played for Williams, it was defense first. When I worked for Eric Musselman, it was defense first. When, when I played for the, you know, Miami heat, Chuck Daly uh, in New Jersey, Pat Riley teams in Miami defense was first. Like you can talk all you want about playing fast, you know, being slick, being innovative. No, at the end of the day, it's, we're going to eliminate layups we're going to protect the paint. We're going to close out. We're going to contest. We're going to defend without fouling, and we're going to rebound. And so every one of those Hall of Fame coaches and great coaches, it always started with that. Like, we're going to defend at a high level. And then there's going to be an organization. And some are more detailed or organized than others. When, when, I, when, you, when I think of Stan Van Gundy, um, I don't know if you can get any more organized and put any more thought into the game than Stan Van Gundy. Um, and then there's others that, you know, it's maybe the, the playbook is not quite as big, but there's still a way to play. Mm-hmm. And so um, you understand shot selection. You understand taking care of the basketball. You understand what we're trying to get accomplished uh, every possession. And so, you know, all the all these coaches had a way. Some more organized than others, some more detailed than others. But there was definitely a way to play, um, both on the defensive and offensive side, and you could clearly see it when you looked out on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there wasn't a lot of randomness to what they did. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a napkin dot com, a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our a pen and a napkin university video library options that are available to order. We have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. 
apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. You, uh, your longest uh, head coaching tenure was at the University of San Francisco. Uh, it was it was a you know a, a fame program. You know, obviously that's where Bill Russell, and Casey Jones came from, and then they had a good run at the late seventies, and then the program shut down, and then they restarted it. Uh, and you were there, I think it was, was eight years, coach, I believe. Eight years, yes, eight sir. Eight years, yeah. And, uh, you know, now that you've had some perspective on it, uh, you, you had a, a, a decent run. It was a good run. wasn't as good as probably what you wanted it to be. Uh, you know, if, if you had to look back on it now with some perspective, what might be some things, and, and now that you've had some more experiences as an assistant coach and working with other other folks, like you said, like Musselman, uh, Van Gundy, uh, your, your current position, uh, is, is there anything that you may be looking back on the San Francisco experience that, you know, yeah, that, that's something I, I, I wish I would have done better or I would do that differently now? Uh, you, you ever think about it in that way? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm 53. When I, when I got that job, I was – probably about 30, 34, 35, 36. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would hope with the 17 years and, you know, more importantly, the guys that I played for and worked for that I would, I would get better as a coach. I, uh-huh. I think the one thing is we definitely had a, a, a way to play offensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we ran secondary break very much similar to coach Williams. We did some different things out of that. There, there was never, issues in terms of getting quality shots like my first year we, we didn't have quite the same level of talent that maybe we would have liked but they were all good kids and they tried to do what we asked um, but we couldn't score mm-hmm. um, we had one dominant player in Dio Lohorn and then it was trying to put pieces around him and then we really got going you know we went we went seven and seven in our conference the next year uh, we won 20 games the, for the first time and over 30 years at San Francisco. Think about that. The mm-hmm. great program like San Francisco, they had won 20 games in over 30 years. That's crazy. Uh, when I got there, it was crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So we did that twice. We finished in the top three, which there's only four schools at that time in the last, I think, 13 years or something that finished in the top three besides Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and then BYU when they joined the league. So we did some things with the with with you know not quite the same budget, not quite the same things that you can offer, um, and and competed at a pretty high level. So I was I was very proud of that. The things I would have done over, I was I was a very hard driving coach, very uh, direct and to the point. Probably didn't put my arm around guys as much as I probably should have. I think Steve Clifford is the best at it that I've ever been around. He makes guys feel unbelievable and yet still holds them accountable. And there are definitely standards that you must meet as a player in terms of what kind of shape you're in, um, how we're going to play our style. He gets the best out of his players. I think that I've learned a lot uh, from him from that and all the coaches. But that's the one area because we did, you know, we had a transfer problem. I was very hard and direct. I See, what people don't understand, when I was at Kansas, the first practice I ever played, Coach Williams said, you're not going to play here if you don't play defense. Well, in the 90s, you could say that, and a kid like myself would be able to respond. And, like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I had that within me. Mm -hmm. Whereas I said those same type of things to my players, and they believed me, okay? They believed I was being honest, and I was, right? But it was more of a challenge than it was anything. And so, you know, players, uh, you know, 
it, it's so much more important now the way you make them feel right mm-hmm. as opposed to the information you're necessarily giving them mm-hmm. so i didn't do a great job of making them feel great mm-hmm. i challenged them a lot so we had a little bit of a transfer problem every time we got really good i would lose one or two of my top players and mm-hmm. so that was that was something i i really needed to to go through mm-hmm. it's made me a better coach i think it's helped me with the players that i work with now being an nba coach also um you get a chance to just coach and you can show the film, you can be direct, but at the same time you can be uplifting. Yeah. And that's the area that I probably needed to be a lot better at that time. I'm super competitive still to this day, but I think, you know, as a father, I've gotten better as a Uh husband, I've gotten better. You got to just learn through those experiences as to what works, what works best how to get the most out of the people around you. And, and that's an area at 36, 37, I needed to learn. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I look back at those times and, and I'm very thankful. I had a lot of great people that I got to work with. The players were phenomenal. I worked with some great uh, coaches at that time. I learned an awful lot and I'm really appreciative because it's made me a much better coach today than I was when I first got to San Francisco. Sure. You know, you, you talked a little bit about the, the NBA level. Tell us some things that, you know, most of the folks that are going to be listening to this are, are going to be high school coaches. But we, we have college coaches that listen. I, I think we have a few professional coaches that listen. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, what are some things that folks, you know, may not realize about coaching at the NBA level? Or, or what, are, what are some things that are unique about coaching at the NBA level? I, I wasn't really sure how to phrase this question, Rex, but, no, you know, it's a, you, it's, a, you, it's a great question. Yeah, though. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll say this, uh, especially working for Stan and working for now, you know, Coach Clifford, um, it's coaching, like you still have to coach, you have to come to work every day prepared. I always have, you know, 10 to 15 clips for our guys every day. Like I work with Mark Williams. I work with Nick Richards. I work with Mason Plumley before he got traded. I always had information for them, you know, one or two things that's, that I wanted them to see that we need to get better at mm-hmm. whatever that was going to be. Um, so there's still a high level. There's gotta be a plan. Like we have 15 minutes before practice to get some shooting. There needs to be a plan in place for those 15 minutes to, to really maximize the time that you have with them, right? Yep. Um, we have a plan every day for our practices, and we practice maybe 45 minutes to an hour once we get into the season after training camp. Those have to be really managed. It has to, There has to be a priority of things that you want to get done, and usually it's one to three things that, hey, we want to get this thing accomplished today. Um, I think that's, that's very similar to how you should approach – Elementary school, junior high, um, high school, college, at any level. Like when I was at Coach Williams, we knew we were going to work on transition defense because that we played so fast. Mm-hmm. We knew we were going to work on taking care of the basketball. We knew we were going to work on shot selection, you know, the plays and all that stuff. Yeah, we did that, but, but that was always going to be a standard with the Roy Williams coach team, that we're going to get better at two or three things. We're going to do a lot of things. But there's two or three things. He always had an offensive emphasis. He always had a defensive emphasis. And he always had a thought for the day. Mm-hmm. So you knew that there was three things that we were trying to get done that day. Yeah. You know, offensive emphasis, example, you know, second loss of ball. That means, hey, second loss of ball, we're running. 
right? Defensive emphasis, no blow buys. We, we got to keep the ball in front, right? And then there'd be always some great thing, whether it was Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Gandhi, whether it was Martin Luther King, whether mm-hmm. it was, you know, it could have been Muhammad Ali, it could have been anybody, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something about our team, right, that, that we needed to get better at as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's very similar with, you know, the NBA. people think it's really complicated. Well, no, in the, in the, when you really, really break it down, you kind of get better about two or three things in that day the best that you can mm-hmm. to make your team better. Mm-hmm. I think the the one thing that people, I know they see it, but like they don't understand how smart our players are. Yeah. Like they're, they're so smart. They're so skilled. They're so good that you as a coach are challenged because you're not going to be able to fuck. You're not going to be able to lie. You're not going to be able to BS them, mm-hmm. like especially the good players. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about we, we're blessed. We got guys like Mellow Ball. This year we get Miles Bridges back. You know we've got Terry Rozier. Like they're smart. Mm-hmm. They're really like we have to be on our stuff as coaches, right? Because if there if there's any gray, they're going to see right through it. They're, you're going to lose their trust, and it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So your level of detail has to be extremely extremely high you have to have a plan in place every single day in the film that you show them in the way that you coach them on the floor uh and the things that you talk about afterwards uh not just individually but as a team because these guys are so good if you get guys open shots in this league it's good Mm -hmm. it's 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 automatic like these guys are so so good but at the same time you've got to get them to play within a structure Right, because the game becomes so easy for them. Um, at times, they have to understand the value uh, of the things that we're putting together every single day to be the best possible team. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's the fun part for mm-hmm. me is like the challenge of coaching great players, like Mellow Ball. People see him as a fun-loving guy. You know, he's great smile comes in with a smile on his face. Now you have to have your stuff together. You know, Marlin does a great job with him every single day. Right, Marlon Garnett is the guy that works with him to, to help Melo see not just what he is, but what he can be. Right, yeah. I'm really blessed. I have two great ones right now, and Rick, Nick Richards and Mark Williams. They're like sponges. They really want to work. They want to get better. You know, I'm not. I'm not a big social guy. I'm not a, a big. You know, I'm not a big hugger. But they know when they when they come to work. Hey, we're coming to work. We're coming to get better. There's things that we need to get done today. And they know, I hope that they know that every day I'm thinking about, okay, what do we need to do to take the next step? Mm-hmm. So that's the fun part with the NBA that, that I think that sometimes people don't necessarily understand and see. Mm-hmm. What's kind of the, the key, Rex, for, for you guys to start moving your way back up to the, the, the standings? You know, a couple, is two or three years ago, Charlotte was in, flirting with the play-in game or the, the, the play-in part of the playoffs. Uh, this last season, like you said, had you know Lamelo uh, missed a lot of time. Uh, you know, Miles Bridges was suspended for the entire season for off the court stuff. Uh, you're going to have both of those guys back and hopefully healthy. You, you've added Brandon Miller. Uh, you know what, what? You know what's kind of the, the the pathway to to get the Hornets back to uh, a place where they're competing for playoff spots and and moving their way up the ladder. 
I think first and foremost, it, you said it, it's health, mm-hmm. right? Like, so we started the season off with about a guy that I think after this year would be worth a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Miles Bridges, he was he never he never stepped into the building. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He never stepped in the building. And, and, and there were I've and there were obvious better. reasons for that. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And I've been around him. And I, I can't, I'm not going to get into all the stuff and all yep. the things, but like yep. every time I've been around him, he's had a smile on his face and he's watched me coach and he's been like, I, I, you know, like he's excited about this year. He's been fun to talk to. Like, I don't know everything that happened. I didn't get into the court case on that. Like, I'm telling you, this dude's a great dude mm-hmm. and I'm really fired up to, to work with him. Mello is the same way. Like he comes in every day with a smile on his face, ready to work. He and Cliff is like the ultimate odd couple. You've got, <laughs> you know, complete young, right? Like energy. And then you got Cliff, who's old school Northeast with a guy that's from the West Coast. And they they joke, they laugh, they they get after it, right? Mm-hmm. They want to get better. But our health is so important. Gordon Hayward's health is so important for us. He's such a good player, right? Terry Rozier battled through a lot of injuries last year. We need him on. We need to be our, our best players on the court. And if we have that now with the addition of Brandon Miller, if we can get, you know, um, our guys on the floor healthy and ready to play, we have a chance to do some really good things. Uh, we love we love what Mark Williams has been able to, to add defensively, Nick Richards as well uh, from our post players. So there's just a lot of really positive things. And, you know, even though we, I think we won 27 games last year, I think, I think we were in the top three in the league easily for most missed games mm-hmm. for the season. And that didn't include Miles Bridges, who yep. did not play one game, did not practice one time. Yeah. So it, for me, if we can get our guys on the court, we can get guys playing close to 75, 80, maybe 90% of the season. We have a great chance of, of making the playoffs and doing some really cool things and moving this thing forward, moving the needle forward uh, for this organization, for the city of Charlotte. Because they do. we got great fans. They want to see us do well. They're very supportive. It's different. You know, I played in New Jersey. I played in Philadelphia. These guys have supported us every, in, in the good times and bad. They've been phenomenal fans. Yeah. That just support. You don't see a lot of boo birds coming out uh, in Charlotte. Whereas in Philly, you can have a bad three minute stretch, you might get booed. Yeah. These guys are really just great fans that we want to see have a great basketball organization, great, great basketball team, and playing playoff basketball. Mm-hmm. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Rex, at this time, we're, we're going to transition a little bit here. We're going to go to the second half of the pod, kind of get into some, some X's and O's and just dive in basketball nerd-wise big time here. So, But before we do that, every week we have uh, our John Wooden quote of the day. So we have uh, the Wooden book, A Lifetime of Observations, and every week I, I pull 
a, a quote out of that, and I throw it out there to my guest and give them a chance to to talk about it, and we'll kind of chew the fat on it a little bit. So, um, uh, Coach Walters, are you ready for the John Wooden quote of the day? Let's do it. All right. From page 26 of Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations, the John Wooden quote of the day is, One of the most powerful motivating tools you can use is the pat on the back. Yes, occasionally the pat must be a little lower and a little harder, but too often we neglect the praise. People are quick to criticize and slow to commend. That's awesome. I mean, to me, it's it's very similar what Coach Williams would say uh, to me when I was coaching. He would always say, hey, applaud the accents you want repeated. So mm-hmm. he made a lot of corrections. There's no question that. He made a bigger deal about guys doing things right, right, than he did about guys doing things wrong, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so that that just fits a lot. Like, And there's no question. Uh, you know, we haven't talked a lot about Homer. Homer Drew never really put a guy, put a spotlight, <coughs> excuse me, on a guy when they did something wrong. He would go right up to him, talk to him privately. This uh-huh. is in a practice. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And make his corrections, make his coaching point, which is different than a lot of other coaches. Now, obviously, this was one that was pretty severe, but he would never put the spotlight, a negative spotlight on a guy. He'd still make corrections in front of the team, this, that, and the other. But when it was serious and he really wanted to make his point to that player about mistakes being made, he did it privately, Mm -hmm. you know, on the court in front of players. But like the players wouldn't hear what he was saying. You know, and, and I think the players really appreciated that. And that was so different than what I experienced in Kansas. You know, but it, it, get back, it gets back to what, you know, Coach Wooden just talked about. Like, you're going to have to do both. But, and Coach Williams used to say it all the time, applaud the actions you want repeated. Mm-hmm. It makes such a big difference. And it gives guys confidence mm-hmm. you know, right, in terms of what needs to be done for us to be successful. So I think that that's a that's a really cool way of looking at it. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, Rex, that you you say that because, you know, a lot of times we sit there as coaches and we we tell our players go out, play free and easy, and do this and do that, and then when they make a mistake, we we lose our stuff on the sideline, whether it's practice or whether it's a game, and so they're like, you know, if you're a player sitting there going, okay, you're telling me to play free and easy and do this and just relax and make basketball plays and go out and do stuff, but if I do something. Uh, it, it looks like you're you're going to have an aneurysm on the sideline there, you know, or 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 in the middle of practice. And I and I think that's something that I've learned in my seasoned and experienced state is no, you know, we're going to do our best to to not get really upset about those type of things. To really praise uh, what they, at PGC, they say so. What what is praised is repeated, or something like that. It's kind of the same thing that you were saying about Coach Williams. And and when they when there's those mistakes that are made, okay, pull them out of the game, talk to them privately. Maybe have an assistant coach talk to them about what needs to be done differently. Uh, but we've we've got to do that in, in in the in the social contract of coaching with our players. If we're asking them to just relax, go out and play, play loose and free, we can't freak out over the smallest, tiniest little mistake. We've we've got to handle that the right way. And and I think that's something that we can do better as coaches overall. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I think a lot of that stuff, though, and, and Cliff is great at this as well. Stan was as well uh, in terms of on the sideline, 
um, I think you got to be able to address those things in practice. I think that the level of accountability, the standards that you set, those things need to be done in practice. And I, I think that, you know, playing free is great. I always try to tell our players, hey, I want you to be aggressive. I want you to be attacking. I want you to let it rip, leave it all on the floor. I try to stay away from free, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, got, I, I try to stay away from that one just because, hey, here are things that – and Coach Williams – all the great coaches I talked about before, like, hey, certain things are, are really non-negotiable. Like, we're going to take care of the basketball. You're going to turn the ball over. It's going to happen. Yep. But there are certain type of turnovers, right, Yep. that we're going to live with, and there's certain type of t- turnovers we're not. Mm-hmm. Shot selection, right? Mm-hmm. And that's always – there's a lot of gray in that. But to me, it's like, hey, we're going to work for layups. We're going to work for open jump shots. And we're going to look for situations where we have advantage and playing advantage basketball, two-on-ones, one-on-os, two-on-ones, right? Mm-hmm. Draw two, we kick. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to we're gonna really put a, a, a premium on getting quality shots every possession. And we want to play inside-out basketball. We don't want to play outside-in in terms of what I'd say. I, I don't like first-side threes, mm-hmm. even at the NBA level. I'm not big on that. Unless you're a guy, and Melo's one of those guys. He can shoot a first side pull up three and shoot thirty eight percent. Hey, that's a good shot for us. Yeah. But if you're if you're a twenty six, it's an awful shot for us. <laughs> you know. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I think the standards need to be set in practice, and then I think you're right in the games. <clears throat> there's a certain level um, where yeah, you you got to pull a guy aside. You you may have to talk to him or during a dead ball because you know you take Lamelo Ball out of the game too much and you break his rhythm like. We want to take him out one time per half. You know, we want him to go probably the first eight to nine minutes, get two to three minutes to, to end the quarter where he's out, maybe two to three minutes to start the quarter he's out. And Because guys have a tough time. And this is something I needed to learn, too. I, I was I was the hook master. Guys <laughs> made a mistake, and, and they came out quick. Yeah. You can never get into a flow. And I think the correction that you make, they're more powerful if you're making them a in a timeout, right? Yep. In a in a halftime locker room setting, mm-hmm. right? After the game, uh, you know, when the the next day when you're watching film, you can learn a lot through the film. And the NBA is getting to that now. Most of the most of the teaching and learning you're doing is always through the tape because yeah. you just don't have the time to practice. And I think a lot of that carries over to college. Um, and I think you know, quite honestly, college coaches, for a lot of them. They're the stars of the game because yep. they're going to be there every year. Yep. Where yep. sometimes that can be to the detriment where it becomes more of a show and it's not necessarily about the team, it's about them. Mm-hmm. And that's where you got to be careful as a high school coach, college coach, even an NBA coach. I don't, I don't, you don't see it a lot in the NBA because obviously it's a star driven league, but like you got to make, you got to be really smart in when you're making your corrections, um, how you're making your corrections. Um, th- those are two big things where you can lose guys really, really quickly. And you've got to figure out how to get your guys playing the best basketball. That's your job. Your job is not to get them to necessarily play the way you see the game, but, okay, what's the best basketball that they can play? And so that's what you're tr- always constantly trying to figure out as a coach is how am I going to bring out the best in our guys? Because 
Lamelo Ball is never going to be Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan was never going to be a Mellow Ball. Mm-hmm. I've got to, we've got to get the best out of Mellow. Yeah. Right. Yep. And and so what works for Mellow is might be a lot different than Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson. So yep. that's our job as coaches. Yep. Well, let's let's dive into that a little bit here, Coach. Um, you know the, the the two areas that you've spent the you know your coaching career at the college level, uh, the professional level. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic because you're you're trying to create team first cultures, but you have players that, for lack of a better way of saying it, sometimes they have their uh, even though they're part of the team, they kind of have their eye on the next thing. If you're if you're if you're at the University of San Francisco, you're hoping to to play professional ball. If you're if you're with the 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 Detroit, the Detroit Pistons or the Charlotte Hornets. You know, you're, you've kind of probably got your eye on the next contract, and how do you get the best contract? Usually, it has to do with uh, not, not usually, not usually, but a lot of it at times has to deal with statistics and how am I doing here and and that type of thing. So, so what are some keys that you've seen in your career about creating a team first culture where at, at times players can be really susceptible to getting sucked into their own wants and needs? Uh, and, 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 you know, they're, they're trying to play two things at the same time, if that makes sense. Well, I, I just say this, like the numbers are great and agents will use numbers yep. to the best of their ability to say, Hey, this guy's number very similar to this guy's numbers. Well, here's the difference. Like, you know, there's a lot of guys that scored as many points as Tim Duncan, yeah. Tim Duncan won five, won five championships. He, he, he was well compensated, you know? So it always goes back to the same thing. What's going to allow you to play winning basketball? Because every organization, even though they want to sign guys, they want to get guys uh, on their roster, we're all looking for the guys that are going to impact winning. And, mm-hmm. and that's the most important stat. I always ask players, what's the most important stat? They say, oh, I don't know, rebounding coach, uh, assist. I'm like, no, winning. Like, That's a stat, too. Yeah. Like Your win-loss percentage is you know, pretty important. So that's the thing that we're preaching all the time. And our guys are great about it. Like, yeah. even though we were banged up, like our guys competed last year. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were at times playing with guys that rookies, second year players that, you know, going against Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, like you're probably not going to win that game, but there's still a thing called winning basketball. You're playing yeah. winning basketball, playing to a standard winning of winning effort. basketball. Yeah, no yeah. question. Yeah. So, and helping those guys understand that's what's going to ultimately get you paid. You see a lot of guys, you know, quite honestly, that are averaging 20 points. They're still available yeah. out on the free agent market right now. Because mm-hmm. guess what? That They weren't able to show, number one, they're going to win on the court or giving a winning effort on the court. They're going to give a winning effort off the court, like in the locker room, the way that they train, the way that they uh, take care of their ba- their body, the way that they talk in the locker room. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is eventually going to catch up to you, mm-hmm. right? Where the that's going to score 20 points per game. It's whether or not those 20 points are impacting winning. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that can really guard the ball, right? Yeah. But is their team defense helping this team play the best possible defense to, again, put together a winning effort? Mm-hmm. So... You know, the stats are great. There's no, and you can, you can use the stats on a lot of different ways. And I'm all about analytics and using analytics, but <laughs> it's all about what, what you're doing to impact winning. Mm-hmm. And that's a message that we talk about all the time. And I think the really good organizations, that's what it's all about. And the ones that aren't so good, whether it be in the NBA, whether it be in college, 
You know, there's a lot of guys that are recruiting off of Instagram. And <laughs> sooner or later, they're going to realize that no one ever misses a shot on Instagram. No, it doesn't. You know what I mean? No, they don't. They do not. So, so. you've got to really watch and study. And, and is this guy really about playing winning basketball? Mm-hmm. And those are the guys that you want to go to war with. And so that's what we're preaching in Charlotte. And I thought our guys did it. We won 27 games. And I was like, you know what? We're playing with rookies and second-year guys. And, and we're, we're, we're in games. We're giving ourselves a chance. These guys are building the habits that are going to help them be better professionals down the line. Yeah. So that's the whole, the, the whole message. And if you're going to make deals in terms of, like, giving in, or, hey, telling the player what he wants to hear, that never works. Yep. It never works, unless it's the right stuff. Yeah. You know, so, and the great players want the truth. They really do. They want the truth. The great ones do. They want the truth. They want to be coached. They want to be held accountable. You know, Coach Clifford talks gloriously about Kevin Durant and, and the way he approaches every single game. Well, there's a reason why the guys won a couple of championships. His teams are always in the running. Yep. Right? You may not be the most vocal guy in the locker room, but you know exactly what you're going to get from him, yep. right? And so that's what we preach to our guys is how are we going to get to that level? Yeah, you may not be six foot eleven and shoot threes off the bounce, but there are certain things you can do to give yourself a chance to compete and win at the highest levels. Mm-hmm. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Rex, we got about 10 minutes left or so. That's about right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. 10-15 minutes. So I want to get into a couple of other things with you here before we get going. Uh, let's talk about building a, a great team defense. And you referred to it with uh, Van Gundy. Uh, you talked about it with Muss. Uh, you're you know you just you know it's kind of followed you around. So take a little bit take take a little bit of a victory lap here, Coach. Uh, you know uh, you know what are the what are some keys to building a great team defense improving quickly on defense uh what are maybe you know if if you had a drill or two that that you could tell us about uh that that you feel like are really important to building a great team defense just kind of you know dive into that and and talk to us a little bit about uh what you've seen over the years part of your philosophy what other people have done to to really improve and build a great team defense well i think first of all it starts with your transition defense right you've got to be great in transition defense and you've got to come up with your scheme of what works best for you in terms of okay do you have some guys that can offensive rebound what's their efficiency in terms of their offensive rebounding numbers are they get it guys or they get back guys and establishing that really quickly what are going to be your rules on missed layups made layups what's going to be your rules on missed and made twos and what's going to be your rules on missed and made threes right so you've got to establish that right away and then 
you know, we call it no man's land. You, you, you can't, you can't be backpedaling in no man's land. And that's basically top of the key to top of the key. That's got to be a sprint, right? Sprint mm-hmm. all the way back inside of three, right? Sprint, talk, stop the ball, get our matchups, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's something I think it's really, really important that you can establish really quickly. You can do a lot of it through tape. You can do it, some of it through drills, whether it's a, you know, we, we have a five-on-four transition drill where it's five guys on the perimeter, four guys on defense, and then the fifth defender is on the other end of the floor, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. five-on-four, and the fifth defender's on the <laughs> other basket. You've got about 12 seconds for the offense to shoot the ball. They can do whatever they want except for cut. They can drive it. They just can't really cut, right? So we're playing five-on-four, so we get a good contest. The shot goes up, right? Those five guys need to know, okay, who's going to go get it? Who's going to get back because there's no out of bounds? Make or miss the team that gets it. They're going. They got one guy that's already underneath the opposite basket. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. So, in other words, those guys need to know we need to sprint back from offense to defense so we don't give up a layup right away. So that's just a simple drill just to get your transition. I think the way that you play, like I was at Kansas, we didn't do a lot of transition drills, but we played really fast. Mm-hmm. Transition was never a problem for us. We were mm-hmm. always sprinting back, sprint, talk, stop the ball, get matched up. Mm-hmm. So I think it always starts with that. If you can if you can eliminate like layups, inside out threes, you've got a chance. You've got a chance because you're in ready to get out. I think that's the first thing. And then it comes down to, okay, what 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 are our strengths? At Kansas, we were athletic. We denied one pass away. We could really guard the ball. You've got to determine as a coach, okay, what's our level of on-ball defense and how is that going to impact what we're going to do defensively? You see a lot of teams in the Midwest, they don't have necessarily great athleticism, so it's more elbows and blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Heavy nail, right? Always having a low man for rim protection, and we're going to eliminate layups, right? We're going to... Um, Eliminate layups, defend because free throws are really probably the most efficient shot in basketball. Yep. Right? 80%. So even layups at the NBA level, I think it's somewhere around 75%. Right. And then, then closing out to three. Mm-hmm. So it's to me, it's, it's really simple. Like in our shell drill, in our two on two defense, in our three on three defense, whatever drilling we're doing. Right. To me, that's always going to be the starting point. Okay. What's, what's our level of defense in terms of on the ball? Can, and, and can all of them do it? Cause if they can't, you better be pressure on the basketball, great paint and rim protection. All right. And then we're going to become a great closeout, contain, contest team that can then be physical, block out and rebound. And if you can do those things, you have a chance defensively, uh, to be efficient enough to win ball games. And, and so, um, that's really, um, it, it took me a while to figure that out. When I got to San Francisco, we were, we were in the passing lanes. Guess what? We didn't have the best athletes. Gonzaga did, you know, St. Mary's did, mm-hmm. and we were really stretched out. But when you can just simplify and say, Hey, we're going to eliminate layups. We're going to, we're going to defend without fouling. So your wall ups, your contests with, without fouling or appearing to foul. Right. You don't mm-hmm. even want to appear to foul, yep. but you want to contest. Yep. Right. Yep. And then you've got to be you got to figure out your rebound, uh, how you're going to do it. Physicality with your rebounds, your pursuit. Five guys always pursuing what we hate leak outs. 
for us. And you see the Lakers, they'll leak out when they've got LeBron, they've got Anthony Davis, they had Dwight Howard, they had great size. So they were able to leak out. Well, I just think over the long haul, I'm against the leak outs. We want five guys coming back, pursuing the basketball, and then we run, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to beat ourselves. And so that's a lot of that stuff. It's from Stan Van Gundy, Steve Clifford. Obviously, there's there's some more complexity with it with pick and roll coverages, but uh, that's really where it starts defensively for you to have a chance, right? When I was at when I was at Nevada, you know, we switched to one through five, right? But again, you know, they took a big step in that year that I was there because they just decided, hey, we're going to protect the rim, protect the paint, defend without fouling, close, contain, contest, and we're going to five guys are going to rebound. It helped that you had the Martin Twins. It helped that you had Jordan Caroline. You know, it helped that you had a great roster. But but also those guys really bought into that, and they become they became a top ten, top fifteen defensive team in the nation mm-hmm. that year. Uh, not as much switching off the ball. They were more locked into the guys. But but in pick and rolls, they were able to switch, keep their matchups, front the post because they're trying to keep the ball out of the paint, yep. and then play from there. Yep. Um, last thing, coach, we've got about five minutes left and I want to be respectful of your time and everything. So, uh, you know, one of the big things that the NBA gets a lot of attention for is the, the end of the game drops. That's, you know, you see that stuff on YouTube and, and all, you know, all the time. Uh, you know, how much time do you guys spend on putting that stuff in? How much of that is, you know, stuff we've gone over in practice? How much of that is coach Clifford? drawing that up on the board and the guys go out and execute it you know you know, what's that process how much does it change game to game yeah how does how's the coaching staff put those those end of game situations together how do you work on it how do you get yourself prepared for it both offensively and defensively well first thing with in the nba they they're we're up and running really quickly like we're playing quickly in terms of our scrimmaging like yeah. maybe the second day of training camp we're already up and running so now we're, we're already working on atos we're already working on special situations because they come up over the course of the scrimmage and we'll work on them a little bit but i'll say this like for offensive right we had a, a litany of plays already diagrammed up in a folder ready to give to coach clifford that he worked on but also jay hernandez who's now with the brooklyn nets Right, that they worked on. Right, this is the stuff that we're going to cover. Right, in a in a walkthrough. Hey, here, here's our here's our need one. Here's our need two. Here's our need three. Play, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, side out of bounds. Base on out of bounds. Full and court. And when you're saying right? need one, it's need one point. Need two point. Yeah. Right? Yep, okay. it, 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 yeah. Two wins the game. Two ties the game. We're going for the win. Three wins the game. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go over those situations. Uh, briefly in a walkthrough. So at least they've seen it before. But those also come up over the course of training camp, the preseason. And it's the same thing. Like, and, and, you know, Stan, I would, you'd you'd walk into his office uh, before a game and he's going over all of the opponents need to need three plays as well. Mm -hmm. Side out of bounds, base out of bounds, you know, ATO. Mm -hmm. So like, right away and you see a lot more side out of bounds plays than anything yep. uh, in the NBA because of the advance and stuff, but he had all that stuff ready. So we had a pretty good idea of what they were going to run. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he was phenomenal. Like he did every scout uh, in the NBA 82. Think about that 82 games plus the playoffs. 
Like you had a scout coach, but he also did his own scouting report for every game. Like you would have a meeting with him and, and it's the same thing with coach clip. You'd have a meeting with him if you were the scout coach and you'd go over all the stuff that you thought was important and he'd already know it. Yeah. Like it's, it, those two are amazing with that stuff. <clears throat> um, it, it shocks me because when I do a scout, like I'm watching five to seven games, I'm going over stuff and like, I'll go into the meeting with them and they're like, okay, what about this? They're asking me questions about, I've already, I've seen this. What do you think about this coverage for this? Like yeah. they're, they're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting back to your late game stuff, like that, that's how they did it. Like, mm-hmm. They already had stuff written up, ready to show, in a folder, and the same thing defensively. Hey, this is what they like to run, you know, side of the bounds, need to. And then they'd also do it based on, you know, who's playing, right? Tatum's in the game. This is what they like to run through Tatum. Mm-hmm. Brown's in the game. This is what they So the level of detail in the NBA, it's, it's truly amazing. Because, again, if you're not proving to the players, the best players in the world, that you're putting them them in position to be successful, they're going to start tuning you out, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you've got to be on your game with that stuff all the time. And I think that's the case in high school and in college with your best players. Yep. Like you, your best players want to be great, right? Yep. And if you're lucky, you've got like a top 100, top 50 guy, a great player in your area where they're looking like, oh, hey, are you putting me in position? Are you putting us in position to be successful? Because you know, I always tell this story like, when I was playing for the Miami Heat, you know, we were talking about Alonzo. Alonzo always wanted the ball, and we're playing the Pacers, and you know, he gets he's getting double teamed every time before the catch. Like they're front him and there's a guy waiting on the back end. So Coach Riley told me, "Hey Rex, do not throw him throw it to him on the front side. It's it's not going to be open." So sure enough, get the ball. Alonzo's calling for the ball. Alonzo's crazy. He wants the ball. <laughs> I don't throw it. Timeouts called. We're walking off the court, right? And I, and Alonzo's yelling at me. I'm yelling. I'm like, I'm not throwing you the ball. You, you're covered. And Pat, Pat Ryder looks right at me and says, throw him the damn ball. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, and I didn't understand this, the two guys that are going to be blamed is kind of like the, in football. It's the coach and the quarterback. Yep. Right? In the NBA, it's going to be the coach and the best player. Yep. Right? So there's got to be a there's got to be a togetherness between the coach and your best player that they absolutely are pulling for each other. Mm-hmm. Right? So I didn't understand. I was really upset. Stan pulled me aside the next day and said, hey, Rex, you got to understand. At the end of the day, you know who it's on? It's going to be on Stan. It's going to be on Coach Ryan. It's going to be on Alonzo, yeah. right? So those players have to believe, right, that you are putting them in position to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's high school, whether it's college, there, there's got to be a unification, a, a common belief in each other that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as a coach in the NBA now, like, you've got a lot of guys like that. You've got to make sure that they understand, hey, I'm putting you in position to be successful. You're going to make the shot. You're going to make the play. Be aggressive with it, right? It's my job to, to put you in that spot. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Love the story. That's a great place to end, uh, Coach. And, uh, you know, uh, just thank you so much for your time. Uh, uh, Rex, if, if there's anybody that wants to search out on Twitter or Instagram or any of those other places, how could they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Like I think it's Coach RDub23, something like that. Coach Walters. I don't even know anymore. I'm so out of it. And I'm on Instagram, but that's more family stuff. I, I like to brag about my family, my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to go work them out right now over at the at the old high school they, they one of them played at. So, um, but I'm out there, just you know. And, and if I can help, hit me. Hit me direct message. I usually I'm pretty good about responding unless you're asking for a tryout with the Hornets. Um, that's not that's not my department, you know. But if you want to talk basketball, if you want to, you know, 
I'm on LinkedIn as well. If, if, you know, you're looking, I, I try to help as much as I can. I, Got it. I've got some projects. I still got to get done for Coach Clifford before uh, the middle of uh, of August. But uh, I'm usually at some point I'm going to hit you back. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I love talking basketball. Hopefully, any some of it was good. Mm-hmm. If I could ever be of help, just let me know, my man. All right. I, I hope you enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin, Rex. So no, that was fun. That was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, if you could hold the line just a quick second here, we're going to wrap up again. Rex Walters. Uh, men, uh, Charlotte Hornets assistant coach. Want to thank him for his time again. Want to thank Ryan Moore for being the go-between, linking us together here. Uh, want to thank him for that. We of course want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic. Uh, again, check out Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. Four zero two nine six four zero three zero zero. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Download and rate review. Uh, this uh, podcast, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, for Rex Walters, uh, this is Marty Plum. I uh, hope you folks enjoyed it. Uh, episode 186, really, really good stuff. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hold our craft one day at a time.